and welcome to another episode of my weekly podcast, The Break. I'm Father Roderick, and this is the third week of the new year. We can still call it the new year, right? It's 2023. It still sounds a bit newish to me. Coming from a very cold and even snowy Holland, here is your show. This show, just like everything else that I do online, is made possible thanks to my community of patrons, people that believe in my mission and that want to help me do this. Because as I keep saying, is the Pope doesn't send me a check to do this work, nor does my bishop. So it's you as a listener, as a viewer, that make it possible for me to continue this work. And I really could use your help. For those of you that are listening um, and are already uh, patrons, um, Know that you are among the, what is it, 3 or 4% of the people that I reach with the podcast that are actually contributing also to the work that I do. But for more than 95% of the listeners, um, they, for many reasons, are, are not um, part of the Patreon community. So here is another um, appeal from, from my part. If you are able to sustain my work, don't think that that other people will do that. I, I really count on you in uh, in order to continue this year. Um, and um, I, I have a lot of cool plans. Um, plus, of course, I, I want to continue what I do because so many people uh, kind of rely on, on the, the work that I do to stay in touch with the church in one way or another. After all, I'm, I'm a priest for a lot of people that probably would never go to church, or at least I should always say not yet go to church. But for, for a lot of, um, especially younger people, um, I'm, I'm their only link between the gospel and faith and their own world, uh, because not every priest is able to venture into the world of social media. It's my work. Um, so I can do that, and I, I, I'm happy to do that. But again, I can't do that without the support of my patrons. I want to welcome a few new members of the Patreon community. Um, Scott, thank you so much for joining the Patreon community. And Matthias also joined at the $5 level. And then I also want to thank Andrew and Nadia, who have been long-time, very generous supporters of my work. I think for about seven years, they've been supporting me uh, tremendously. But um, they're financial circumstances have changed. And so uh, they wrote me um, just a few days ago telling me that they were unable to continue to support me at that, at that level. Um, and uh, I, I want to, to uh, reiterate that I totally understand. And I, I don't want you to donate if you can't afford it because everybody has uh, uh, his or her own financial responsibilities. Um, but but it's an, it's another occasion also for me to uh, to appeal to the community that when some people are unable to continue to donate, um, that is why I keep mentioning this. Maybe it's uh, it's a bit over the top because you you get you get sick of tired of me mentioning the patron community. But I just want to remind you that it is for me my only source of income. So I can continue this work only if if you help out. And then I. Do also want to thank Stephen for upping his monthly pledge. He went, I think, from five to twenty-five dollars a month, which is extremely generous. Thank you so much, and then of course, thank you to all of you who have been supporting me uh, with small or or big amounts every month. Uh, 
I literally couldn't do this without you. And I hope that you are uh, continuing to, to join me on this incredible journey in, in social media. Um, and, and there's lots and lots of cool stuff to come later this year. Do you know what's going on? This is what's happening in your world. They said Catholics rule. We got Boston, South America, the good part of Ireland, and we're making serious inroads in Mozambique, baby. You've taken your first step into a larger world. This is my first official work week again. I took two weeks off, not entirely, because as you know, um, there were new podcasts every week, as I pledged uh, before the the end of the of the last year. Um, and so, but that was about all I did. <laughs> and then I really took some extra time to uh, to rest, to read to watch a little bit more TV, to play some video games, to, to do some Lego, to clean up the house. I did a ton of things, but none of it was, uh, was work. I, I just focused on the things that gave me energy, and I'm so glad that I did. Um, I still could use some extra rest, <laughs> because uh, even this first week has been, um, has been busy. And I'm still a bit behind. You know, you step out, you step out of your daily routine for about two weeks, and the emails start piling up, and all sorts of people want to have a, a piece of you. Um, but it was it was good, and I, I intend to do this more often to just take a few more breaks throughout the year. Um, and uh, I think it it helps me to not step back into the old trap of. Of of just doing doing too many things uh, this year, as I as I mentioned also in in this week's episode of the walk, I want to focus really on the things that have lasting value. Uh, the podcasts are very important. Uh, the community is extremely important uh, to me. The educational aspect of what I do, so the the little expla- explanatory segments that I do on the break, also today, um, and and also the the instruction that i give on tiktok with the like the crossover between the world of anime and the and the catholic tradition um, th- that is af- absolutely something i'm going to keep doing but my main focus will be on the production of these bigger stories on the documentaries also because there is a potential <clears throat> source of revenue for the future um, i've been in talks last year with uh, the broadcasting company here in the netherlands uh, and and they were interested in in you know future productions but of course i need to first make them <laughs> and so i have a lot of uh, <clears throat> interesting stories that i'm that i'm working on right now i'm very eager to uh, to switch to a, a, like a new uh, editing computer so i've been doing everything right now for about a year on the macbook air which is amazing i love that thing but i have to bring it everywhere i go which is not very um uh, it's not very handy so if i use it for streaming like right now i'm streaming this from my hobbit corner downstairs uh so i'm i'm like if you I've never seen the, the the stream. Imagine like warm light. There's a fireplace in the background. I've got some books on shelves behind me. There is a mirror above the uh, above the hearth. Uh, a, a lantern, some books, a globe. It's it's really really nice. But then if I need to work on on 
on the on the documentaries, I got to take the whole thing upstairs. That's where my big monitor is. I have to reconnect everything, <clears throat> and then uh, and then work there. Uh, and then the moment I want to stream, for instance, from from my kitchen, which is another thing that I did this week for the first time. So I on Wednesday, it was a lot of fun. I took the the laptop to the kitchen, and I cooked dinner while. I was live and I was conversing with the online community. It was a ton of fun. I made a pasta putanesca and also Korean spinach, quite a, a global mix of, of recipes. Uh, but then, of course, I, I, I got to bring my, my laptop to the kitchen. Um, so uh, I, I hope that this year I'll be um, uh, able to add a, a, another um, Apple computer specifically for editing with a little bit more room also because the, the MacBook Air doesn't have much uh, inner memory. So I always have to attach uh, like an external uh, hard drive to it, uh, which also, I mean, it works, but it's a bit inconvenient and it's just lots and lots of cables. So, um, but I... All that to say that uh, that I'm really looking forward on on editing a lot of the material that I filmed last year, as well as some some travel stories that I filmed uh, even before that. Uh, but because of COVID, I never got around, and all the changes in my personal life here, moving from one parish to another, I, I just never had the time to sit down and to finally turn that into a documentary. So that's uh, that's definitely something that is uh, on high up on my list of priorities this year. Um I've also been been running a lot uh I've always been a runner. I ran a, a whole bunch of of um, marathons. Uh, it's just, I love that sports. It helps me to get outside and I like running. I'm, I don't know. I don't like a lot of sports. I certainly don't care for sports on TV. So if I see posts on social media of people, you know, just posting every five minutes about a, a game, like whether it's football or, or, uh, or hockey or something else, I was like, I, I, I just I, I, I've never been into into watching uh, sports on TV, but I do love running. And so I signed up. Well, I didn't sign up, but I, I did plan a marathon in April, right after uh, Easter and right after the Star Wars celebration in London. I hope to run another marathon. I don't know exactly where. I'm hesitating between either Rotterdam or Enschede, which is a, a city in the eastern part of the country. I've never uh, done a race there and so for the past few weeks I've been um, I've been training really hard so I, I pushed the envelope even farther <clears throat> last year I ran my fastest fastest marathon ever so I broke my personal record and I that challenged me to go even faster this year so I um, I constructed a, a very ambitious training program and today I had to run 11.5 kilometers, which is, what is it, eight miles, um, at marathon speed. But, but my, my marathon speed is much faster than last year. So I had to run uh, at a pace of, what was it, five point five and a half kilometers per hour? No, wait, how does that work? I never exactly know how the pace thing works. Let me look that up. I'm using Strava in conjunction with my electronic watch. Oh, so my, my pace was five, five and a half minutes per kilometer. 
which I've never run this fast. And I was able to maintain that pace for 11 kilometers. And it wasn't just on a flat road uh, over here in this area of the country. You have lots of hills. And so it was uphill, downhill. And at one point, I, I remember I was running and I was getting seriously out of breath and I was so tempted to stop because I, I was like, <sighs> I couldn't barely get enough oxygen. My legs were fine. Not, it's always weird. So it's much more about the heart and about the lungs. They have to expand. My legs probably can, can run for forever. <laughs> but I know that if, <clears throat> if I push all the way to the end of that itinerary, the next time it will be a lot easier. Um, but it's always this kind of this tension between, like, uh, my mind wants to give up. It's like, okay, I'm done. I don't want this anymore. This, <laughs> I'm getting out of breath. And then the willpower, I, I use, I apply my willpower. I'm telling myself, you know what, this is not going to kill me. It just, it's only three more kilometers. Stay, keep at this pace. And I, when I look back in Strava... And I see my pace, I'm actually accelerating. The moment I thought that, like, okay, I'm going to push through these three kilometers, my pace, and I, I'm not monitoring my pace when I'm running, but afterwards I see that, that, that just mentally, by telling myself, I'm not going to stop, I'm not going to give up, I'm increasing my speed. So it's very encouraging afterwards. And then, of course, the, 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 I, I suffer when I'm running that fast. Um, but afterwards, it, it's soon forgotten you you always forget the pain very quickly and what remains is the satisfaction of having run even faster than i've ever run before and so today i think i broke according to strava i broke three personal records on the 5k on the 10k and on the 15k i never ran as fast as i did today <clears throat> so yeah it's encouraging for someone who's 54 years old. I'm such an old dude. <laughs> this is usually the time that people start to retire from sports. And I'm like, well, you know what? I still have some extra juice. I, I want to I try and, and, and break my personal record for my next marathon. Plus, you know, it just motivates me to go outside. It was a cold day. This morning I woke up and it was snowing. And um, the snow had melted uh, when I was actually going out for the run. But it was like, one degree above freezing point. Um, and, and normally when it's super cold outside and it's nice and warm and cozy and toasty inside, if I didn't have that schedule and that goal of running the marathon, I would not have gone out to run, especially because tomorrow uh, on Saturday I have my, my running training anyway. Uh, but having that goal motivates me so it's, again it's, it's like mind over matter because i set myself that goal i am pushing myself out the door and because i want to break my personal record which of course is not going to change the world but it, it motivates me to go <clears throat> a little bit further than i would normally do and i think ultimately it's like the cold showers that i talked about a couple of weeks ago um it's like why would you do that it's, it's <laughs> well it's because it it trains my will in a certain way it's like stepping into a cold shower is never going to be nice it's always like oh my gosh it's so cold but if you stay there and you try to control your breathing over time you start to really increase in in willpower it's like i can do this and it, it feels good i don't know it energizes me for the rest of the day now i do cheat a little bit um because 
uh, I step under the sh- in in the shower in the water when so I turn on the shower and I step into the shower right away. So the the water for the first minute or so is ice cold because it comes from the attic and the attic is not uh, is not heated. So it takes time for the the boiler the 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 heating system for that water the warm water to reach the shower head, and that takes about a minute. So for one minute. I'm in ice cold water and then it starts to warm up and then it's like, oh, oh this is so nice. <laughs> you appreciate the warmth if you if you first have that that contrasting experience of 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 being super cold. Um, it's the little things. And I'm surprised to to notice how how much you can actually get used to stuff. Like I, I'm used to having that cold moment in the in the day. I'm used to running and pushing myself. Um, even even when it comes to the overall temperature here here in my house, for most of the day, um, it's about 15 degrees, which is really not warm. Uh, but I'm wearing a pullover. I have extra socks on if I'm getting too cold, and and now 15 degrees sound feels feels okay. And then when I really want to have a nice like t- when I'm going to watch TV, and I know I'm I'm going to sit there in front of the TV for uh, more than an hour. Of course, you want the temperature to be just a little bit warmer. So I I turn it up all the way to 17 degrees Celsius. Whereas I know that last year 17 degrees would have felt as if I was sitting outside in the cold. Um, but I'm totally used to lower temperatures. And I don't even know. Like when I put up the temperature all the way to 20, I was like, oh my gosh, it's like, it's way too hot. It's too warm. Let's turn that down. Um, it's it's crazy how, how flexible we actually are. Um, and that, yeah, that mind over matter thing, it, 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 you know, it opens up a lot of possibilities. How do you not like movies? They're predictable. Like, the guy gets the girl, and that kid sees dead people, and Darth Vader is Luke's father. Not liking movies is like not liking puppies. They're fine. I just get bored and never make it to the end. You know, you need a movie education. You need a movication. I'm going to give it to you. Speaking of television evenings, uh, I've been watching a couple of series. I'm, I'm back to watching Deep Space Nine. Uh, Star Trek, which is really great. I have to say that the the best is yet to come. So I'm uh, halfway through season four, and I think towards the end of season four, that's actually where the big story starts to unfold with uh, um, a bit similar to what happens in Babylon 5. So uh, Deep Space Nine and the Federation, they are attacked by a foreign uh, race, I think, an alien race, and they're much more powerful uh, than the Federation. And, and the story becomes all about uh, staying positive, staying hopeful, despite the fact that you're underpowered and that the other, the attacker is much, is much more powerful than you are. And <laughs> it's, it's, um, it's uncanny how much that show, that show is, what is it, 20, 25 years old now? Uh, it, it, it's still so pertinent because if you look at the situation in Ukraine, it's kind of similar. You see that same courage of the people there. They know that they are, at least in terms of numbers and, and military potential, they are they are vastly overpowered by, by the Russian army. And yet they don't give up. They want to defend themselves. 
that they want to protect their freedom and their and their people and their culture, which is what they do. And so, uh, and and I, I think that's that's kind of also the the main message of of Deep Space Nine is to not give up, even though it, from a human perspective, it's it's a bit desperate. The situation is desperate, but you should never stop hoping that you will ultimately prevail. Um, so it's a lot of fun, um, and it, it, it also nicely fills the gap between um, the last episode of Strange New Worlds and then the next season of Strange New Worlds. I still hope that um, I'll be able to watch Picard. Picard is still on... Um, is it on Amazon Prime? I think it's... Yeah, Picard is still on Amazon Prime, so that will start next month, I think. Um, so I'm also starting to catch up on season two of Picard. That will be the last season also of Picard, and I think that's that's smart. I think uh, that, has, that whole thing has run its course, and it's time now for a new generation of actors to uh, to take over the helm. I really I'm hearing so many good things about the second half of Star Trek Prodigy, which was geared towards kids. Um, I think it's even on Nickelodeon, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> so Star Trek Prodigy is an animated series. Um, actually, it's it's not unlike what Star Wars does with the Clone Wars and with uh, the Bad Batch, um, but it features like. Captain Janeway in a holographic form. It has a cast of kids. Um, and so I, I watched it because it was Star Trek, and I really liked it. It was a lot, a lot better than I anticipated. But apparently in the second half of the season, so they had a, like a mid-season break, the second half is like classic Star Trek, and it's so good. It's not just a kid's show. So I'm, I'm looking forward to watching that as well, now that I finally have access to it. Um, the only series that I still can't watch is is uh, Star Trek Discovery. None of the of the platforms that I subscribe to have it, and I don't understand why not. It's crazy. It's it, I mean, this should be on Paramount, but it's not. Why? <laughs> anyway, hopefully one day. And it's not that I miss it that much because I've seen the first two seasons and, and Discovery was never my favorite Star Trek, but it's Star Trek. So <laughs> if it were on, I would watch it. But in the meantime, uh, Prodigy and uh, Deep Space Nine will have to do. Now, the other thing that I started watching this this past week was this long-anticipated uh, series, The Last of Us, on HBO Max. Or uh, apparently, in the future, it's going to be called just Max. Um, after the merger with Discovery, they are um, kind of re reorganizing everything they do. So you've got Warner, Discovery, and and uh, uh, what is it? Warner and Discovery and something else. Oh, and HBO. And so the new branding is going to be apparently Max. And they um, they they base this new series, The Last of Us, on a very popular video game that originally started on the PlayStation 3, if I'm not mistaken. <clears throat> and it was, at the time, groundbreaking. This was a zombie survival uh, game, first-person shooter. But the story was everything. Because there are a lot of shooters out there, and a lot of them have a very thin storyline, and it's all about, you know, <laughs> how quick you are. Uh, the Last of Us put the emphasis 
entirely on the storytelling, on character development. And they used a lot of, at the time, a lot of pre-rendered sequences to tell that story, and that would be alternated with um, action sequences where you had to fight the zombies. Um, but the, And then afterwards, they started to re- remake it for the PlayStation 4. Now there is another remake for the PlayStation 5, and if you compare the first version with what the game looks like now, it's unbelievable how much they've improved every everything and the story is now rendered inside the game engine so the playstation 5 of course is super powerful and they can render all the cutscenes that normally would have to be pre-rendered and then played as a video file they can now do that in game um, which is so promising for the future of video games because it looks almost like live action Um, all this was done with uh with real actors uh with motion capture just like the star wars uh, uh game um with the last Star Wars game, uh, which was also incredibly impressive, it almost looks like you're you're watching a movie, um, and so it, this this sets the bar so high for future storytelling in the world of video games. It's it's unbelievable how these worlds are starting to merge, and then HBO uh, now has this television series based on the video game, and usually that that was. That was almost a recipe for disaster. There were so many video game adaptations that uh, fell short of, of people's expectations. Uh, but not, not The Last of Us. So I played a little bit of the video game back when I still had a PlayStation 3. Or actually, I still have the PlayStation 3. I just haven't connected it to my TV yet. Um, and I had the, <clears throat> the, 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 what was it, the DVD, I guess? Yeah, I think those games were still distri- distributed on, on, on DVD, so on a disc. Um, but then I, I got rid of my PlayStation uh, 4, and so I, I sold the game, never played it afterwards. And so um, I've been and watching the television series, and, and, and some of the stuff feels very familiar. It's like, oh, I think this was also in the video game, but it's live action, and it's so incredibly well done. Some scenes are almost identical to the video game, but then there's a lot of added drama, and of course there's so much more you can do if you don't have to do the video gamey stuff. But the story is so gripping, and it's incredibly well acted. There are some moments in the first episode that are devastating and heartbreaking, and it's so... Pedro Pascal who plays, of course, the Mandalorian, or at least he's one of the actors who portrays the Mandalorian, especially the times when he takes off his helmet, then it's Pedro Pascal. Um, but a lot of the other uh, scenes where, where uh, Mando is in his uh, costume, um, other stunt actors are, are also playing um, that same character. But Pedro Pascal is um, one of the main characters, and he is awesome he's so good but everyone is good and um so you would think well it's another zombie series why why what is different we've had the the what is it um the the walking dead and world war z and isn't this a bit tired well this takes the whole concept of a zombie uh series to 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 a different level um, it starts with a flashback all the way back to the year that I was born in 1968, and it shows you a television uh, a television show that is being recorded, and uh, and an expert is talking about the 
you know, the risks of global viruses. And, and of course, very topical with, with COVID and the situation in the world. Um, <clears throat> but, and, and, and it's funny that when, when The Last of Us came out, of course, nobody had ever heard of, of COVID. And now we have that global pandemic and it's still going on. Look at what's happening in China right now. Um, and all of a sudden, those zombie stories that were kind of a, a bit science fiction, you know, what if there would be a global virus like the pest in the Middle Ages and it would, uh, and it would uh, like destroy half of mankind? Well, you know what? It's no longer science fiction. It, this, is, this is something like that is happening. But then in the television show, the 1968 television show, that this expert says, well, you know what? We always think about, about viruses. But what if fungi are able to transmit through humans? So right now, the fungi, so funguses, they are, they are of course, they grow, and, and, and you know, we, we sometimes eat them, like the, <laughs> the mushrooms and stuff, but, but it's because they're incompatible with our, our human disposition. But what if they mutate? What if, for instance, the temperature, the, the world's temperature will start to rise, and these fungi will start to spread through human contact. There are fungi that actually are able to take over organisms and to control them. And so they, they, they laid a groundwork, I won't spoil anything else, they laid a kind of the, 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 the theoretical scientific groundwork for how this could work and how it could, these fungi could, could, could turn people into zombies. And then you flash forward to couple of years ago time-wise and then and that's where the zombie apocalypse starts but my goodness it's so creepy and so oh it's 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 incredible and this is just the first episode and I, i felt like i had seen an entire movie if 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 this project would just be that first episode I would say, amazing movie, go watch it. It's incredible, I can't wait for the sequel in, in a few years from now. But this is a television show. This is just one episode. It's incredible. And of course, those of you that have played the video game, they know, they, they know where the story is going and that this is just the beginning and it will get even worse later on. Um, incredible. So, so, so wonderful what they've done with that story. And then, of course, uh, there is also uh, a, a sequel to the video game, The Last of Us 2. And uh, apparently the first season of the television series will cover the events in the first video game. And this obviously is going to get a, a sequel because this has been the biggest success for HBO since uh, House of the Dragon, the sequel to, uh, to Game of Thrones. They've never seen numbers like this in the first week so you absolutely know that this is going to get a sequel and then apparently the next season will cover the 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 second video game but they've already said that they don't want to go beyond the story that is told in the uh, in the video game itself so does that mean that we will get a part three of the video game i don't know it's it's going to be very intriguing to see where they will take this. But I'm glad that HBO finally has something positive because I, I was getting a little bit bummed out by all the changes and they started to pull popular series off their streaming platform. And I was like, well, should I just continue my subscription? Now with The Last of Us, I, I yes, absolutely. I want to see more of this kind of quality. 
<laughs> Catholics rock! It is time for our weekly visit to the Peculiar Bunch, a.k.a. those weird, wacky Catholics. Catholics can be a peculiar bunch. No meat on Friday. No meat? What do they eat? Light bulbs? And today I want to talk about something that not everybody knows about, and that is the secret prayers that the priest whispers during Mass. Man, you guys got more crazy rules than Blockbuster Video. According to Liz in the chat room, this question has been has been haunting her for years. During Mass, of course, the priest is is praying um, in kind of in the name of the people. The, the priest is a mediator in the Mass, right? He's not part of the of the of the churchgoers. He's also um, like contrasting has a contrasting role. He uh, certain things that the priest does. He d- does them in persona Christi, as they say in Latin. So in the person of of Christ. So it's Christ Himself who acts through the priest in the liturgy. Um, and then there are um, there are things that the priest does just for himself. And uh, there are, especially if if you pay attention during mass, and oftentimes we we tend to plaster mass with with music and songs, and uh, this is one of the downsides I think of uh, a lot of the, the the modern liturgy, is that it doesn't seem to leave much room for uh, for personal prayer for silence, um, even though. In the liturgical reform, there was an emphasis on the importance of silence and and meditative moments. But unfortunately, uh, throughout the years, um, in a lot of parishes, they they just keep cramming in stuff as if we constantly need input. So if there is like a second of silence, then the choir needs to start singing or the organ will start playing. Um, We tend to... Uh, have replaced a lot of the moments of, of silence and prayer with words. Um, I, I've I've noticed that also in the this new parish where I uh, assist on on Sundays, is oftentimes like for instance on uh, during Christmas, they they um, there was a group who had prepared the liturgy, and they had just added so much extra stuff. <laughs> I was like, how are we going to do that in one hour? It's just so much. Like, after communion, there was... Like, even before Mass started, there wasn't, like, an entire thing that had to be read and then with, with an extra song. And then they, they had, like, a, an extra meditative text here and there. And then at the end of the Mass, there was another meditation. And it was just words, words, words. And I, I still, despite that... I, I I made sure that there were a few moments of silence where I just, nobody speaks, no music, no organ, just silence. And it's not, it's not a pause. It's not like an interruption. Like when you go to the movies, at least here in the Netherlands, in the, in the past, they would interrupt the movie. So you could go to the lobby and get some extra popcorn or go to the, to the lavatory. I think in, in most theaters right now, that is no longer the case. But even in the United States, you have that, that, that song, you know, let's go, let's all go to the lobby. <laughs> um, and, and sometimes people 
interpret these moments of silence as uh, like a like a break, like a pause. Like we're putting everything on hold. Um, in my previous parish, sometimes they would say that when we were doing the offertory, which is when you bring your your uh, your the gifts to the altar, the bread and the wine. Um, they would announce that as right now uh, it's time for the pause um, during which we will collect your money. And I was like, no, that is not supposed to be how you formulate this. This is not an interruption. This is not a break. This is a moment of, uh, it's an interior moment, a moment where you could just listen to some music or reflect. Um, You are supposed to connect with what's happening at the altar and this is part of uh of what the priest does during the offertory he offers the gifts of bread and wine and he speaks in a low voice he says in a low voice a few prayers and uh, so usually you're not supposed to really hear that um although sometimes in uh, when when you have a silent mass and there is no music or choir then and sometimes priests will say this out loud, but according to the missal, you're supposed to say this in a low voice. In in Italian, you would say sotto voce, so it's like really whispering almost. So, uh, but but this is this is the first thing that the priest then says in this very low voice, not not meant to be heard by the congregation. So you, you, the the priest, I'm just reading this from from the instructions in the altar. Uh, in the altar missal, the priest standing at the altar takes the paten with the bread. The pa- paten is a small uh, circular uh, dish, you could say. It's usually made out of precious metal. And on it you have the, the big host, the host that is uh, also shown during the consecration and broken into pieces during the fraction of the bread. But here it's still whole and you lift that up with both hands, and then the priest is supposed to say in a low voice, Blessed are you, Lord, God of all creation, for through your goodness we have received the bread we offer you, fruit of the earth and work of human hands. It will become for us the bread of life. And then he places the pattern with the bread on the corporal. The corporal is this piece of cloth. It's folded usually into six parts, and it represents the the shroud, you could say, because of course the mass is also the, the, the Christ who offers His life for us, and so the the corporal is uh, literally it it, it uh, the name itself implies it's it's for the body of Christ, the corpor, uh, Um So the body, um, it's it's the the the, the cloth that that envelopes the the body of Christ. Actually in in some uh, oriental rites the the priest will put the paten underneath the cloth. So it's even more like a shroud. We we put place it on top of the corporal, but uh, I always like that in the for instance in the is it a Maronite uh, rite where where the, literally the the corporal is is covering the body of Christ. Here of course it's not yet the body of Christ because it's the consecration is still to come. So it's just bread. But so this is a, you offer this bread. And by doing that, the priest actually uh, sets it apart from all our other gifts. This, this is bread that is meant to become the body of Christ. And it's an acknowledgement that 
everything that we that we receive every gift is first given to us by god so we give it back it's a it's a response to to a gift that we've already received and that's the kind of the whole logic of faith we we always think that faith is something that we should do hence sometimes that very activistic liturgy where some people feel like liturgy but that's our self-expression um not exactly it's it's also self-expression but it is most of all it's an answer to something that is first given to us and when you take some time to pray to be silent you acknowledge that presence that was there before you and it's it's to to make room for the one who actually is the host the real the high priest who invites you at his altar at his table um so here you basically you say we have received this bread through your goodness because you love us it's the fruit of the earth. It comes from us. It's uh, it, you know, it's it's made out of uh, out of the the the, the, the grain, um, and and also the work of human hands because all that has had to be turned into bread. So it's also our gift. We have, but it's ultimately the it comes from you. We we offer it up to you. It will become. I mean, it's not just a prayer. It's it's a uh, it states a fact. It, this it will become for us the bread of life, and in this for us is not meant so. It, so for us metaphorically as a symbol in our minds it will become the bread of life. No, it will become it will become the bread of life for us. It's the bread of life given to us, and then after that. Uh, uh, here, by the way, it stipulates if the offertory chant is not sung, the priest may speak these words aloud. And then if that is said out loud, then the people may acclaim, blessed be God forever. So it's uh, basically a, an affirmation of that, of the prayer of the priest. Like, God is blessed, thank you. Um, and then the priest or the deacon if, if there is a, a deacon who prepares the altar uh, then he can do this um the the priest pours the wine in the chalice and the chalice uh, also a technical term for those of you that are not familiar with the catholic tradition it's it's the cup basically uh, but we call it chalice because it's a more nicer word <laughs> for something that is very important because of course this is not just a cup this is the chalice that will contain the blood of Christ. So it's a sacred vessel, we also call it. So you pour the wine in the chalice and then a drop of water, a little bit of water, doesn't specify exactly the amount, but it's not meant to be 50-50 or, or just water. I remember that when I was still an altar boy, uh, uh, one day uh, the, pr the priest that I was serving made a mistake and the... Um, uh, the containers for the wine and the water were not transparent. And so he poured the water into the chalice and then a little drop of wine. And he only discovered that when he was taking communion, when he was drinking from the chalice. And then he realized, oh, it's I, I inverted the water and the wine. And in that case, if it's water with just a tiny bit of, of, of wine, it's what they call invalid matter. So Jesus took the wine, not the cup of water. And so that means that the consecration in itself is invalid. You cannot consecrate water. 
you ha it has to be wine with a tiny drop of water. And so I still remember that he had to redo part of the mass. He did it very quickly and also in a low voice, but he made me get the wine and then just clean out the chalice and did the Eucharistic prayer very quickly uh, in, 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 in a low voice. Uh, and then he proceeded to the, to the communion rite. Um, so then when once that is once I pour the drop of water into the wine, again, it's a moment where I speak in a low voice and I say quietly, by the mystery of this water and wine, may we come to share in the divinity of Christ who humbled himself to share in our humanity. So the little drop of water is given an extra meaning. Uh, so the water dissolves into the wine, just like Christ, who uh, became very small in uh, a human child in, in our world. Um, and he became part of our humanity, just like this little drop of water mixes in with the wine. Uh, and then, after that, I take the chalice and I raise it above the altar, slightly raised. Some priests are just, they raise it up as if they are like doing like a lift off. <laughs> you have to slightly raise it <clears throat> with both hands again uh, because it's an, an, uh, it's an, an offer. So the, the, it said both hands because you're not showing it. No, you're lifting it up. So every gesture has a, a special signification, a special meaning. So if I would lift the chalice and the host during um, the, uh, what is it, the, the um, how do you call that, the through him and with him and in him, at the end of the Eucharistic prayer, then I hold the chalice with one hand and the pattern with the host with an, the other hand, because then it is... It's a different gesture. Um, so here, both hands. And then again, I say in a low voice, blessed, the prayer is almost similar to the one that came before. But here I say, blessed are you, Lord God of all creation. So it's acknowledging God as the creator. For through your goodness, we have received the wine we offer you. So same words, but this time it's, it's through your goodness, we have received the wine we offer you. It's the fruit of the vine in work of human hands. Whereas with the bread, it was, of course, the fruit of the earth. Here it's the fruit of the vine. And added to that, the work of human hands. And again, it's an affirmation. It will become our spiritual drink. Setting this apart, this is not just a cup of wine. This is to nourish us spiritually because it will turn into the blood of Christ. And that's not to just for hydration <laughs> it's for the hydration of the soul um and then i place the chalice on the corporal as well uh here if it's said out loud the people can also uh, claim blessed be god forever and then another secret prayer the priest bows profoundly so not just a little nod of the head no you have to bow profoundly uh so i would say 90 degrees <laughs> until your nose almost touches the altar. And then I pray quietly, with humble spirit and contrite heart, may we be accepted by you, O Lord, and may our sacrifice in your sight this day be pleasing to you, O Lord God. Um, so this is a, a moment of contrition almost. The priest 
acknowledges that he is not really worthy to do this, but God wants him to. And so it's a prayer, may we be accepted by you, O Lord, just as you accept these gifts from us, accept also me. But I want to do this knowing that I have to be humble and contrite because I am not worthy of the gifts that you give me. May our sacrifice in your sight this day be pleasing to you, Lord God. So it's a prayer that God may look with benevolence on our gifts, that it's a genuine gift of our hearts, that it's authentic and not just like we need to placate God uh, because this is just out of duty or something like that. No, it's it's acknowledging uh, we are not worthy of, of the gifts that you give us. We give it back to you. Please accept it and accept also us, even though we are sinners and we are unworthy of your love, but um, accept us and, and look kindly upon us. And then again, saying quietly, I wash my hands, which is an old ritual that you even see in the Old Testament. You also see it with the washing of the feet during the Last Supper, this is part of the ritual washing that was part of the J- Jewish rituals. Um, and it's here integrated also in the Catholic liturgy. And while uh, the server uh, pours water on my, on my hands, I say quietly, wash me, O Lord, from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. It's another prayer that God may purify the priest so that he is... Um, so that, that he is uh, without blemish when he offers, the, uh, when, when he per- performs, you could say, the, 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 the Eucharistic prayer. Um, again, it's like you, we use a chalice, we use um, a, a pattern, and it's made out of precious metal because it's going to carry the body and blood of Christ. So you need to use worthy materials. But that the same is true for, for the priest. He also needs to be worthy. Of course, it's only through the, the grace of God that, he, that you are worthy. That, hence the prayer. Please cleanse me from my sin. I am unworthy, but you can make me worthy. Uh, I, I am a sinner, but you can make me a saint. That, that's basically what these prayers um, uh, express. That's not all. After... The, um, the, the distribution of, uh, or wait, right before the priest starts to distribute communion to the people, there is another uh, secret, quiet prayer, um, and that's, uh, the, the, there are two options for this. And it's, it's a prayer that the priest says before he shows the host to the people with behold the Lamb of God. Um, the first version says, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, who by the will of the Father and the work of the Holy Spirit, through your death gave life to the world. It's a long phrase. Free me by this, your most holy body and blood, from all my sins and from every evil. Keep me always faithful to your commandments and never let me be parted from you. It's a beautiful prayer. So it's a prayer of like, I know that I am not worthy, but please forgive me, free me, cleanse me from my sins, and never let me be parted from you. That is what sin does. It, it, it creates a rupture between me and God. But this is a sacrament of communion, of, of uni- unification. And so this beautiful prayer asks for that, for the priest asks to be united with God. And that's also, he, he does that also in the name of all the other people that are about to receive communion. 
you want them to through this communion to enter into this or to strengthen that relationship with God. The other version is um, shorter, and it says, "May the receiving of your body and blood, Lord Jesus Christ, not bring me to judgment and condemnation, but through your loving mercy." Be for me protection in mind and body and a healing remedy. So again, same same idea. Um, maybe I, I, I deserve judgment and condemnation, and I certainly don't want to receive communion being unworthy, but your loving mercy is here, and you can protect my mind and my body and even bring me healing. So it's it's almost a prayer for, for healing. Um and then the final few uh, secret prayers that the, the priest says is right before he takes communion himself. So the priest first takes communion. Sometimes in, uh, in some parishes, the, 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 the community expects the priest to first distribute communion to the people and then only take communion afterwards. This was a thing that was made up in the 70s. It's never been part of the of the catholic liturgy the idea was well but if you have hosts if you have guests and you're the host uh, and you have to you know you want to give people cake for instance it would be impolite to first eat cake yourself and then distribute to other people and and so the, i understand the logic but it's so not what the, what this ritual is supposed to signify the idea here is that the priest can only distribute what he has received himself as well. It's a sign of hum humility that the priest first takes communion because he is just like all the other faithful. He too needs to be nourished by the body and blood of Christ before he can give it. You cannot give what you haven't received yourself. And this is also the order in which Christ distributes the bread during the multiplication of the bread. He first gives it to the apostles and they give it to the people. Uh, the same is true for the Last Supper. The, who is there? Not everyone is there. The apostles are there. They are the first ones to receive the body and blood of Christ. And then later on, they are tasked to go and to do this, uh, to, to bring the body of Christ to, um, to, 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 to the ends of the world. Here, the priest, before he takes communion, says quietly, may the body of Christ keep me safe for eternal life. And then when he takes the chalice, he says quietly, may the blood of Christ keep me safe for eternal life. And then after distributing the communion, the priest purifies the chalice and the paten. And then he says quietly, what has passed our lips as food, O Lord, may we possess in purity of heart that what has been given to us in time may be our healing for eternity. Um, again, same. you see the same movement all the time. We have received this gift. You feed us. And it, it, it's, it's not just food for our body. It's food for our soul. Um, but may we receive it in a heart that is pure, um, May it heal us, not just here on this earth, in this earthly life, but may it be our healing for eternity. May it heal my relationship with you. If there were cracks in that relationship, may this communion uh, make me whole again. And what is holiness other than being in full communion, in, full, in a full relationship with, with God? 
And we're, oftentimes that not, that's not the case. That's why we say these prayers. Because God will have to do that. Very long explanation, but these are all the secret prayers. Now, why does the priest say this? Why doesn't he say that out loud? It, it comes back to what I explained in the beginning. Why does Mass need silence? It's because it's not just performative. There need to be these moments of interiority where it's not just something you do together or you express yourself with words, 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 and songs, 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 and music, music, music. No. Mass also needs times where you just pray for yourself, where it's between you and your God, as Newman would say it. And the priest gives an example that at certain times, the priest has his own personal prayer with God. And it's supposed to be... a. It, the reason that it's done in silence or in sotto voce, with a low voice, is that too is communication. Because he is not saying it out loud for the community. This is about his personal prayer with God. Just as the people in church are, supposed, are also invited to pray personally to God after communion during these moments of silence. We are there as a, commu- as a community. We do a lot of stuff together. But we're also there individually. And it's also, there are also moments where it's just between you and God. I don't expect people in church after communion to say out their prayers out loud. Like <laughs> if, if someone re- re- uh, receives communion, I will just put a microphone there. Now, now please say your prayer so that we can all hear what you're, you're saying. No, that's private. That's private. And so these, these little private moments of prayer between the priest and God are supposed to tell you, as, a, as one of the faithful who are in church, that this, this priest has his moments of you know, private prayer, and so have I. And this is why priests need to make sure that there are moments of silence where people can actually have that private conversation with God. Not everything needs to be said out loud. Not everything needs to be filled with words or music or, or sound or noise or movement. It's, it's ultimately um, about both the community and about your individual relationship with God. Hope that helps. That was a very, very long explanation. <laughs> we are on the cutting edge of technology. Wow. Well, what does that mean? Let's plug it in. It's going to say, hey, I see you plugged in a new device. And it's going to load in the appropriate drivers. You'll notice that this scanner built... Whoa. Well, all your technology stuff, it just ends in disaster. But there is one more thing. There's only one more thing. I'm going to skip a few of the segments that I usually do because I don't want to, uh, to, 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 to use up too much of your time. Um, but I do have an, a tech-related um, uh, item here that also relates to my book segment. You know that I love reading books and I love to listen to books and I alternate actually it's one of the ways in which I can read long books very quickly because I listen to the audiobook version at two times the speed sometimes even three times the speed but in order to focus what I ultimately what I prefer to do is if I say for instance I want to read The Way of the Kings or a long like Sanderson novel and it's like uh, I don't know 800 pages I can still read that in one week. 
And the trick is, I look at the duration of the audiobook and say, for instance, it's 20 hours. Well, if I play 20 hours on double the speed, it only takes me 10 hours. If I divvy that up into five parts, it only means two hours of reading each day. I can, I can make time for that. I can take, uh, I don't know, uh, like uh, three, 45 minutes in the morning and another half hour uh, after lunch, and then I can read the rest in the evening or when I'm going out for a, for a long run. Um, so, but then, in order to stay focused, you can listen to the audiobook and read along with the, with the, the, the what is it, the written book, or the, not the paper book, but the e-book. And the combination of listening and reading uh, gives you laser focus. So this is my trick, to read long books and still uh, read, them, read them quite quickly. Now, of course, not every, audio, not every e-book is available as an audiobook. And uh, it's it, this is uh, sometimes you can you can pay extra for an audiobook, but it's it's you know sometimes it's even on on uh, on the Kindle store if you already have the ebook you can usually get a discount on the audiobook, but it's still usually around twelve ninety five per book. That's a lot of money. I cannot cannot afford that for since I read three books per week. <laughs> that would uh, bankrupt me very quickly. And this is where. Um, the, 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 the computerized voices are super useful. Now, this is something that, unfortunately, my iPad cannot do with uh, the Amazon app, but my Amazon um, Alexa device can actually read to me. I can say, just read my last book, and it does a very good job reading this in a, in a very pleasant voice. And so this is how I often... It's the, actually the only... The only reason that I, that I use the Alexa, because most of my house is Google-powered, uh, um, but the Alexa is great at reading. Android can also do it. So on my Android fo- phone, um, I, I've, got, I've bought a couple of books on the Google Play Store, and I can actually ask the app to read them to me. Um, unfortunately, I cannot uh, uh, change the speed of reading, but it does a pretty good job. It's a, it's a very much a computer voice, so it's not as nice as the Amazon voice or the Alexa voice. Sorry, but I'm having trouble connecting to the internet. This is Alexa. My my router, it's it's like not connecting to the internet. Both of them, then plug the router back in. Wait thirty seconds. Once the router is back, this is the same voice, by the way, that also <laughs> reads the books to me. Like, I was not expecting her to uh, explain how I should uh, reboot the Alexa device. <laughs> Don't, I was not t- talking to you. Anyway, so um, the, the, um, the Google Play reading voice is not that good. However, Apple also sells books. You would almost forget because, you know, does anyone ever buy books on the Apple store? I don't. I never do. But Apple may have a new thing, a new trick up its sleeve, which will make it more interesting to get books on the Apple Bookstore because they have been implementing AI-powered reading. Now, this is a new thing. They've announced it. I haven't checked it out yet. I'm not sure if it's available yet. But they use artificial intelligence to read books, and it will actually say in in the Apple Store, read by an AI-powered voice. Now, Apple's voice technology is pretty good if you if you use the siri uh, on on your um, ipad i use it mostly on the ipad um, you can actually pick the voice that you like and it does a really good job it's a lot better than google 
And so I guess that with AI, they can do it even better. One of the issues that I have with computerized reading is that it often will mispronounce technical terms. So if you're reading science fiction, for instance, it's a disaster because there are a lot of technical terms that the computer is not familiar with. And so it will butcher up names and terms and whatnot. A fantasy, same problem. I try to listen to The Wheel of Time on the Apple, the Google Play uh, app. And it's, it's okay, but names, disastrous. It's constantly mispronouncing names. And some of these are from main characters. So like every, every five phrases, it, it mispronounces a name and it just does it for, for 800 pages. It's not fun. Well, what Apple does is it trains the algorithm on specific genres. And right now, it can already read, I think, like uh, romance novels, and they will add genres, but they will train each individually, each genre individually. And I think that's such a smart move, and I cannot wait until um, uh, Amazon and, and Google will also start to use this this technology because I, th I think it can... <sighs> It can make reading such a, a, a different experience. Um, I don't know if this is going to mean the end of uh, of, of uh, Audible or, or audiobooks because I, I still believe that um, a real human voice actor, uh, a good reader, still will be adding so much more to the experience. Um, but it can definitely improve from what we currently are able to do. Speaking of Apple, um, this this last week there was a surprise announcement of a new device, or actually two new devices. First of all, the Apple Mini finally came out, and uh, they also put the the, the new uh, M2, so the second generation of Apple Silicon, into the MacBook Pros. Um, they even introduced like a slightly faster version of the M2, like the M2 Pro, I think it's called. It's like typical Apple nowadays. It's like App is the M2 regular, the M M2 Pro, M2 Max, M2 Ultra, and Max Pro Ultra. Cut it out, Apple! <laughs> Stop with all these naming. This is a disaster. It's like with the phones as well. You've got the the iPhone 14, iPhone 14 Max, iPhone Pro, and the iPhone 14 Pro Max. Come on. <laughs> Anyway, I was very happy with the Mini because I love the Mini. And I was also very glad that not only have they lowered the price for this super powerful Mini, um, but they even have like a slightly upgraded version of the Mini with more ports in the back of the device. It's twice the price, which is a bit steep. But um, this, this could be the ultimate editing PC for me because it's so powerful. Uh, you just for editing, I do need a little bit more memory. So the standard thing comes with the eight gigs, and it's uh, it's okay for a lot of applications. But if you're into like serious image manipulation and rendering, and I need a little bit more memory. So I'm I'm tempted to go for the for the the what is it the fifteen hundred version of the of the Mac Mini. I can hook it up to my big editing monitor so that's very cool and it's still a lot cheaper than the mac studio that came out last year mac studio was twice the size of a mac mini um but now i would say it's a bit overpriced because it is maybe same speed as the mac mini they will ultimately of course add new chips to it but i 
I think the Mini is perfectly suited for, for what I need it for. So anyway, happy with that. Um, I got an Apple Watch. <laughs> John Domic uh, changed his, uh, his Apple Watch. So he got the Apple Watch Ultra. Um, and I bought his old uh, Apple Watch. Um, this is a, the Series 4. Uh, you can still update it to the last uh, operating system. Now, I already have a Chinese smartwatch, which is, I'm very happy with. But of course, that is not, there's, there's apples and pears compared to a, a true, genuine Apple Watch. Now, at first I thought, hey, I can probably still activate this with my old iPhone 6. Because when the Apple Watch 4 came out, the, app, the iPhone 6 was still supported by Apple. Unfortunately, since this one has been updated to the last watch OS, OS 9, I think, it's no longer compatible with my Apple iPhone. I tried it. It does see it, but it can't activate the watch. So right now, it's not doing anything. And unfortunately, I cannot up upgrade the iPhone 6 Plus anymore. So the only way in which I can use this Apple Watch is by getting a new iPhone. I was already in the running for an iPhone, but I was hoping to be able to... Hold, hold on to, to my current phone for, for just a few more months because, of course, in September, Apple is coming out with the, the, the new iPhone 15. There will always be a new newer phone, but they will switch to USB-C, which is what I use for all my other gear. So I was hope, hoping, like, oh, if I can use this in conjunction with my iPhone 6, I can already, already kind of ease back into the Apple OS system, and then in September, I can fully make the switch to the new iPhone. But it turns out, no. Unless one of you has, still has like an iPhone. I think you need an iPhone 8. So if any one of you still has an unused iPhone 8 that they don't use for anything, maybe the cat is playing with it or it's gathering dust and you really, really want to get rid of it, contact me. Because then it could, could still help me to... Uh, to, to ease into what I would ideally want to do is to go, I want to go back to iOS, but I want to do it gradually. And I don't need the, the iPhone 14 Pro Max Ultra, Max Ultra, big whatever right now. Um, but I feel like, I don't know. It's, it's <laughs> Anyway, so let me know if you still have an iPhone 8 or, or newer and you, you want to get rid of it and you want to help me out, or even just I could borrow it for a couple of months and just send it back to you. That could help me to just get over that bump. And otherwise, I'll just get an iPhone 14. <laughs> anyway, uh, that wraps it up for today. I need to start uh, cooking because it's uh, dinner time. Thank you so much for uh, the privilege of your time, as always. I want to end with a meditative thought of the of the week this is why i have this this calming piano music it was at least one listener who told me i miss that old jazzy music that you ha had at the ending of each show because that gave me energy and now it's like this very moody jazz piano thing can we go back to the jazz to the um to the big band stuff let me know i kind of like ending with a bit of calmness but if if it if it helps you I gladly switch back to the old, more upbeat music. Just, you know where to find me. Here's the, the Japanese wisdom of the week. It's called Ubaitori. And it, it, it means, according to the Instagram post that I got this from, don't compare yourself to others. So simple, so obvious. Don't compare yourself to others. But how often do we do that? We do this all the time. 
If only I could do this or that or... Don't do it. It'll only make you unhappy. Be yourself. That's good enough. Share who you are. Don't try to think that you have to project someone you're not. It's enough to just share who you are because the world wouldn't be complete without you. Thanks for listening. Talk to you soon. God bless.